Welcome to another historical episode of Prague Times. In the last history episode, we took a look at the very, very beginnings of the Czech lands. And now we're going to look at the next major period, which is the Great Moravian Empire, which runs from 833 to 907 CE, give or take. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, it's ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. This is early Dark Ages. Dark Ages meaning we don't really have very good records. So a lot of this is open to debate. This period in history is a mixture of supposition and known facts. We know there was something which we now call the Great Moravian Empire, and it was established in 833, probably in Slovatsko by Moimir I, who was not a Przemyslid, and it seems like the history of the Great Moravian Empire seems to happen maybe concurrent with the seven mythical princes talked about at the end of the last episode. The capital was a town called Visegrad, but nobody really knows where it was because it was mainly made of wood. Wood doesn't last so long. There are three main candidates for where Visegrad was. Stara Miesto, near Uherska Hradistia in Slovatsko, near the Moravian-Slovak border. Mikulčica, which was a long-time pagan sanctuary just seven kilometers from Hodonin, and Hodonin's long been considered the folklore town with many of the oldest surviving Moravian traditions and even where sort of what you might call Hoch Czech or High Czech comes from. That's where they actually speak, quote, proper Czech. Nitra in Slovakia is claimed by the Slovaks as a possible third location. For my money, Stare Miesto is the most likely, especially considering that just last year, seven graves from the late 9th century were discovered there that looked like they had royal adornments, and it actually makes the most sense when you piece the whole story together. Though Mikulčica is a pretty decent second candidate. Nitra was probably not Visegrad, but it certainly was a secondary city. It was like the second city after Moimir crossed the Morava River and set up a settlement there. There are some other theories. Some people place it in Pohansko, which is a little bit south of Brno. This is mainly people in Brno who say this. The Poles say it was in southern Poland. Some Romanian archaeologists claim that actually it was in Romania. And on and on and on and on. And there's even an argument that perhaps it wasn't up here at all, but it was a southern city in northern Serbia, which then spread into Croatia, Slovenia, and eventually spread all the way up here to include parts of western Slovakia and Moravia. There's even a theory that maybe there were two, one here and one down in Serbia. The difficulty here is that we know for sure that the Moravians, and thus the Moravian Empire, takes its name from the Morava River. There's a Morava River here, but there's also another Morava River, known as the South Morava, down in Serbia, and in what's now called the Republic of North Macedonia. There's also the Binačka Morava, which flows between Kosovo and North Macedonia, and the West Morava, which is also in Serbia. So Serbia has three Morava Rivers, we have one. 
whatever. At any rate, this is Prague Times. We're talking about the history of the Czech lands, which today means Bohemia and Moravia. So I'm going to just go ahead with the great Moravian Empire's capital, Visegrad, was here someplace in Slovatsko. All the princes of Great Moravia are all of the House of Moimir. So as I said, this might be parallel to the Pshemaslids who are hanging out in Bohemia. So what we do know about the Great Moravian Empire has it looking much more like what we would today recognize as a state or a country than Samo's empire, which happened earlier. As a result, the Great Moravian Empire is often referred to as the first Western Slavic state. As I said, the name comes from the Morava River. Now the Slavic ending Ava comes from the Germanic ending Ava, A-H-W-A, which in turn comes from the Latin word aqua, meaning water. So Ava, whenever you have this in a Slavic place name, means water. Mor might come from Mur, and Mur might be a form of a Proto-Indo-European word called Morgi, which means mud. So Moravians are the muddy river people. One of the first, if not the first, Christian church was certainly founded in Mikulcica, which previously had been a major sanctuary and religious center for the pagan, meaning pre-Christian Slavs, somewhere in the first quarter of the 800s. Anyway, Moimir, for our purposes, founded the Great Moravian Empire. He got into conflicts with the Frankish Carolingians, eventually getting deposed by them around 846, and then Moimir fled, or maybe he was killed when the Franks invaded. After Moimir comes Rostislav I. So Rostislav is Moimir's nephew, and he takes over the Great Moravian Empire. Even though he started off as a vassal to Louis the German, who ruled East Francia, and East Francia eventually becomes the seed of the Holy Roman Empire. Rostislav's very good at repelling Frankish attacks, even though he technically has some loyalty to them. He rules from 846 to 870. Rostislav contacts the Byzantines in Constantinople and asks them to send teachers to introduce a legal system and literacy to his people. They send two Greeks, Cyril and Methodius, around 863. Both of these guys have subsequently been canonized. These two pretty much convert all the Slavs to Christianity. They're busy. They create Old Church Slavonic and they also create the Glagolithic alphabet, to write down Slavic languages. This alphabet eventually morphs into the Cyrillic alphabet, which of course comes from Cyril. This gives rise to really the first Slavic literary culture. They were very warmly received in Visegrad, coming here over and over and over again, wherever the heck Visegrad really was. Rostislav was certainly baptized in 846 or by 846. He expanded the Great Moravian Empire all the way down to the border with the first Bulgarian Empire, way, way south. So at that point, he's taken Serbia. Even though he's good at knocking around the Franks when they try and invade, he remains pretty loyal to Louis the German. But then Louis the German decides to invade Moravia anyway. However, Louis gets ill and can't actually prosecute the war. So he gets his son, Charles the Fat, to take over. Charles the Fat burns down a bunch of stuff and takes off a bunch of treasure, and Radoslav retreats to this huge fortress in Mikulcica, leaving his, quote, old city under the rule of his nephew, Svatopluk. This happens around 869. Then another son of Louis the German, Karloman, invades Svatopluk's holdings while his brother, Charles the Fat, goes after Rostislav and Mikulcica. We're going to get these Slavs once and for all. Once both armies go back to Bavaria, Svatopluk hanging out in, probably in Visegrad, 
secretly starts negotiating with Carloman, agreeing that Carloman can basically be lord over all the territory that Rostislav has in exchange for a cessation of hostilities and protection against further Frankish attacks. Rostislav finds out about this and gets very, very angry because Svatopluk did not have authority to say these things. He plans a banquet at which Svatopluk will be strangled to death in front of everyone else's warning. But Svatopluk has some people loyal to him. He finds out about it. And instead of going to the banquet, he goes out hawking with his birds instead. Rostislav goes to hunt down his nephew, but instead Svatopluk captures Rostislav and then sends him as a prisoner to Karloman. So Rostislav goes to Regensburg, which is where Louis the German's capital is, and Karloman basically plunders Rostislav's lands, just like Svatopluk promised he could. Louis the German has Rostislav blinded and thrown into prison, where he dies in 870. So Svatopluk is allowed to keep his old land, which is Visegrad, but the rest of the Great Moravian Empire is placed under the banner of two Pannonian Frankish lords who are loyal to Louis, Willem and Engelschalk. Methodius, of Cyril-Methodius fame, is also captured in the middle of all of this. He'd since been made Archbishop of the lands ruled by Svatopluk and Rostislav by Pope Hadrian II. So the Germans are certainly winning. Meanwhile, in Bohemia... Borjevoy, the Przemysl leader of Bohemia, gets promoted to Duke around 870. So now we're looking at Svatopluk I, who's now essentially in charge in Visegrad while the Germans control the rest of the lands. In late 870 or early 871, Carloman's younger brothers, Charles the Bald and Louis the Younger, rebel against him, and maybe Svatopluk was scheming with them to help make that happen. But the plot fails. Carloman either suspects Svatopluk of being a part of it or knows for sure that he was and throws him in prison. So the Ravians think, uh-oh, Svatopluk's dead or he's never coming back, so we need another family member to take over. So they find a priest, Slavomir, also of the House of Moimir. Slavomir immediately begins a rebellion against the Frankish dominance of Moravia. Carloman releases Svatopluk from prison, hoping that Svatopluk and Slavomir will just fight it out over control of Moravia, and then Carloman will just deal with whoever's left. On his way there, Svatopluk kind of gets drafted into the Frankish army, but he escapes on the way to Moravia and joins forces with Slavomir. And together, they defeat the Franks in a surprise attack, and both Willem and Engelschalk are killed. Now, Slavomir didn't really want to be prince, so he steps down and lets Svatopluk return to power. In October 871, Louis the German invades again. He really wants these lands. A bunch of Moravians are surprised and trapped, and they have to flee, abandoning, among other things, 600 fully equipped horses, which is quite a haul. But they also have the daughter of a Bohemian duke with them, which makes some historians think that maybe they've been trying to make an alliance with the Pshemaslids in Bohemia to protect them from those pesky Bavarians. In A72, the Bavarians try two more times to take over, but again, with not tons of success. the I of Bohemia helps the Moravians, and they repel the invaders. The Bavarians try a third time, and the Moravians have to flee again to, quote, an extremely well-fortified stronghold, which is almost certainly Mikulcica. Svatopluk launches a counterattack, which deals another bitter blow to Bavarian ambitions in the region. Now remember, Methodius got kidnapped somewhere in all of this, and in the meantime, Pope John VIII would very much like to know where Methodius is. 
In mid-873, after a bunch of sternly worded letters and veiled threats to both Carloman and the bishops of Bavaria, a peace is finally negotiated between Svatopluk and Louis the German, the Peace of Forchheim. The deal, it's thought, was that Svatopluk would pay an annual tribute to Louis, and in exchange for this, Louis would stop attacking Moravia all the time. Oh, and by the way, release Methodius. So, now, no more problems from Louis and the Franks, so Svatopluk begins expanding the Great Moravian Empire again, and it reaches its greatest extent. It now includes most of Slovakia, parts of Slovenia, Austria, Hungary, southern Poland, Silesia, Ukraine. One reason he's able to do this is because between 879 and 886, a lot of his rivals are having to fend off a series of brutal raids by Vikings who start to realize that, hey, there's a whole bunch of good stuff down there to the south. There's even a story that Methodius is working very closely with Svatopluk, and he's basically evangelizing and converting everybody that the Great Moravian Empire comes into contact with, making them very loyal in their new faith to Methodius and thus to Svatopluk and the Moravians. However, Methodius, remember, he, he and Cyril create an alphabet, they create Old Church Slavonic, and they're really into the idea of preaching in the local language. But Svatopluk is a Latin Rite guy. He thinks, like the Pope, that it should all be in Latin. So he begins a plot against Methodius. The Pope keeps telling Methodius, stop using Slavonic and go back to using Latin. In 880, Methodius goes to Rome to talk to the Pope about it, and a compromise is reached. The Pope says that Methodius must use Latin when it's requested, but otherwise he's free to do it in Slavonic. This conflict between the official way of doing Christianity, which is in Latin, and a more expedient, more localized way, which is to do it in the vernacular, the local language, is a story that will be continued throughout much of Czech history, including the tale of Jan Hus. Now we come to the Wilhelmina War. In 881, Charles the Fat, one of the sons from before, becomes ruler of East Franconia, and the sons of Wilhelm and Engelschalk, who are known as the Wilhelminers, try to dispose a guy named Arbo, who rules a bunch of land along the Danube. Arbo asks Charles the Fat and Svatopluk of Moravia to help him, giving them his son as a hostage to ensure that he'll be loyal. Svatopluk's not really a big fan of the Wilhelminers, so he attacks. They capture one of the brothers and mutilate him, and the other sons all retreat. They break with Charles and pledge loyalty to Carloman's bastard son and the nephew of Charles, a guy named Arnulf. Svatopluk contacts Arnulf and demands that he turn over the remaining Wilhelminers. Arnulf refuses, so Svatopluk attacks him. At the same time, the Bulgarians, sensing that Moravia is busy elsewhere, attack from the south, and the Hungarians come into it, attacking Vienna. And there's even one version of the story that says Svatopluk hired the Hungarians to attack Vienna. And it's all a giant mess until around 884, and peace gets finalized in 885. And the, the net result of all this is that Svatopluk has even more territory and influence than when all of this conflict started. Charles's power is diminished because he can't seem to hold on to his vassals, and this is the golden age of Great Moravia. In the middle of all this, Methodius baptizes 
Bojivoy I, the Duke of Bohemia, and his wife Ludmilla, probably around 883, and they become super keen Christians. But the rest of the Bohemians are not so much into the whole Christian thing. Bojivoy has the Church of the Virgin Mary built up on Hradchani Hill, which is the first church in Prague and the first stone church in Bohemia, and only the second church of any kind in all of Bohemia. The first was the Church of St. Clement in Levi Hradec. In 884, maybe as a reaction of their embracing the Christian faith, Bojivoy gets deposed by his relative Stroymir. But then the next year, Svatopluk, who's become quite friendly with Bojivoy, helps him get his throne back. That same year, 885, Methodius dies around age 70, nominating his most loyal disciple, a guy named Gorazd, to secede him. But before he can get that paperwork into the Pope, one of Svatopluk's appointees, the Bishop of Nitra named Viking, he rushes to Rome ahead of the messengers that Methodius had dispatched and convinces Pope Stephen V that Methodius had been always ordered by the previous Pope to use Latin during Mass and repeatedly broke that order, which again is not true. He was told if somebody asks for it, then you do it, but he lied. Viking returns to Moravia. Svatopluk summons Gorazd and other Methodius followers to him, but they refuse because they know that he's on the side of the Pope and he wants Latin. Many of them flee to Bulgaria, where they continue evangelizing, spreading the alphabet and their version of the Christian faith, which has taken on some local trappings and some Byzantine things, and eventually this becomes this sort of Orthodox Christianity thing. But Svatopluk is very much on the side of the Pope, so much so that Pope Stephen V calls him King of the Slavs, though it's not an official title. However, he may in fact have been crowned, quote, in the Roman fashion in some kind of non-binding ceremony. In the meantime, Arnulf becomes King of East Francia in 885, and he and Svatopluk form a peace and they pledge to always protect the Holy See. And Arnulf has some uh, sway over the Bohemian nobles as well. But he ends up giving that authority to Svatopluk in 889. So when Duke Bojivoy I of Bohemia dies, his son is too young to take the throne. And Arnulf, who basically has everybody in his pocket, says, hey, Svatopluk, you can have the throne of Bohemia. So now Svatopluk has Bohemia incorporated into the Great Moravian Empire. They keep friendly for quite a while and then... In 891, Svatopluk starts, you know, breaking his promises, so Arnulf gets angry and invades. Among his soldiers are some mercenaries who are Hungarians, and some later historians will blame him for giving the Hungarians, which were known as a, quote, greedy, rash, ignorant of Almighty God, but well-versed in every crime, avid only for murder and plunder. This is according to the 10th century Byzantine bishop and historian Leudbrand of Cremonia. One thing's for sure is that after all of this, the Hungarians certainly have a foothold. The invasion is a failure and conflict continues for two more years until 894. Now around this time, these Hungarians or Magyars, they had come into the Carpathian Basin. Again, these are people who originated somewhere northeast of the Aral Sea in Kazakhstan. Over a 3,000-year period, they had migrated west. Slowly, they became part of the Khazar Khaganate, probably around the 4th or 5th century. The Magyars were actually only one of seven tribes in a confederacy that formed around the Don River. And together, collectively, they were known as the Ungri people, which is where Hungary and Hungarian comes from. 
In 830, there was a rebellion against the Khazars, and the Ungri tribes, led by the Magyars, were joined by three Khazar tribes, and they all continued west. By 862, they'd started coming into conflict with eastern Slavs and eastern Franks, and by the mid-90s, they're certainly causing trouble for the great Moravian Empire. So when Arnulf hires them to fight on his side, it really makes matters worse for the Moravians. Somewhere in 894, Svatopluk meets with what uh, one East Frankish commentator calls a most unlucky death. Hungarian sources say that they had sent a white horse to Svatopluk, and in exchange, Svatopluk had given them a bag full of earth, grass, and water. Now, they thought that that meant that now they got to own a portion of the great Moravian Empire, specifically Western Slovakia. Svatopluk said no, that is not what that meant, and attacked the Hungarians, but he ended up drowning in the Danube. This supposed contract between Svatopluk of Great Moravia and the Hungarians was the Hungarians' excuse for a series of land grabs that eventually ends with them taking over Slovakia, separating those people from their Bohemian and Moravian cousins for centuries. Supposedly, as he was dying, Svatobluk told his followers to not love peace, but always have hate for their neighbors. Nice guy. He also asked his two sons, Svatobluk Jr., Svatobluk II, and Moimir II, to stay strong and united against their enemies. Arnulf, of course, seeds discord between them, and they end up doing a lot of plotting, weakening the coherence and unity of the great Moravian Empire. Also in 894, Duke the I's son, Spitanyev I, is now of age, and he moves the seat of power for the Duke of Bohemia from the family stronghold at Levi Hradets to Hradchani Hill, where he lays down the foundations for a new castle. This is a very different story than the whole Libushov myth we talked about last episode. And people have been living on this hill since the late 700s. During his reign, which lasts till 915, he has more castles built at Mjolni, Libushin, Tetin, Lstjeni, and Staroboleslav. So Moimir II is the oldest of Svatopluk's sons, and he becomes Prince of Great Moravia, while Svatopluk Jr. becomes Prince of Nitra, which is the second city. But they do not get along. Hungarians lay waste to huge areas of the Great Moravian Empire in 894. The East Franks basically invade what's left. Svatopluk II gets Arnulf's help to rebel against his brother. They do this in 895. It fails, so they try again in 897. At this time, too, the Duke of Bohemia pledges himself to Arnulf. So Arnulf's got both Moravian and Bohemian leaders dealing with him. And the Bohemians break off from the great Moravian Empire. Shortly after this, the Lusatians, or Sorbs, do the same thing. So the empire is starting to get smaller. In 898, Moimir asks the Pope to make more Moravian priests so that he can get some more influence and power over all of these Bavarian priests that keep coming into the area. The Bavarians find out about this and attack, helped by his younger brother, Svatopluk II. Moimir defeats them, he captures his brother, but his brother escapes, helped by the Bavarians. Arnulf, this troublemaker, dies in 899, so the Pope sends a new Moravian archbishop and three sort of regular bishops and tells them that they're allowed to conduct Mass in Slavonic instead of Latin. One of them goes to Nitra, which becomes a major city of churches over the centuries. The Magyars, or Hungarians, 
invade Transdanubia, which used to be under Moravian control, but is now occupied by Franks. And Moimir II helps them. In 901, East Francia signs a peace treaty with Moravia. Moimir II and Svatopluk II make up, and the Hungarians get some land out of the bargain. But they want more. They attack again in 902. They get the Bavarians to help them attack Moravia in 904, and again in 906. In fact, the year 906 is a year of almost constant war with the Hungarians, and both Moimir II and Svatopluk II die that year. Now there's a power vacuum. In 907, the Hungarians poured on in Bratislava, culminating in a three-day battle. They defeat the defending Bavarians, who had ended up taking Bratislava from the Moravians. And after this battle, the Kingdom of Hungary is established. And since both sons have died and there's no clear successor in Moravia, basically the great Moravian Empire is over. Its former lands are divided between the Duke of Bohemia, who keeps Bohemia and then takes Moravia, parts of Silesia and Sorbia, and the Kingdom of Hungary, who basically take all of Slovakia. And so the Slovaks end up on a very different path from their Western Slavic cousins, and they will not be reunited until World War I wipes out the Habsburgs, and the country of Czechoslovakia is created in 1918. So yes, dark ages, unclear. We know some things, we don't know some things, but that is, as best as I can piece together, the history of the great Moravian Empire. At this point, Moravia is a secondary part of the story, and the Przemysleds and the Dukes of Bohemia become the focus of our tales of the historical past of the Czech lands. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it and share it and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been Prague Times. <laughs>